Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you very much indeed um, to Martin Allison and Adrian Sell for joining us today. So we're here to discuss I think, the implications for our society and the local communities as well on the impact of COVID-19. We're very much looking forward to what this means as well for the future and in particular in relation to fighting inactivity and tackling inequality. Um, so thank you so much, Martin and Adrian, for joining us. Could I ask you to just briefly introduce yourselves um, and then we'll go into the questions. So, um, Martin, can I go to you first? Um, yeah, Martin Allison. I've worked 40 years in the local government sector in various roles, mainly in culture and sport. Um, ended up as the national advisor for culture and sport with the IDA, part of the local government association, and now a freelance consultant. Thank you very much. And Adrian? So um, I've worked in the international humanitarian relief sector. I've worked for a local authority. I've worked uh, quite a long, not a lot of time in the local local community sector, um, and also more recently run an international mental health charity and have worked on a lot of startups and new initiatives. So I've got a background that brings together a lot of different sectoral experience, but a lot around community activism, community development, and and mental health. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. So just to move on to the, the questions. So um, first of all, what do you think are the implications for, I suppose, both our society and more locally, our local communities in Oxfordshire um, of the COVID-19 crisis? So both short term and long term. So can I go to you first, Adrian, with that, with that question? <laughs> a very broad <laughs> question. Topic. <laughs> I mean, I think there's the, the obvious immediate impacts of, of the virus and its impact on the you know, cost to human life and, and suffering and not just in terms of the numbers of deaths but the numbers of people who are seriously ill as a result uh, or have their lives impacted through bereavement and so forth um, and that that impact is is massive and the repercussions of that are, are significant there's then the the impacts of the lockdown um, and self-isolation on people not being able to get out and about as they normally would, not having the social contact that they normally would, that's such an important part of people's day-to-day -day lives. We're then starting to move into seeing some of the economic impacts on people's incomes and well-being, and you know, redundancies are, I would suspect, increasing and likely to be massively increasing in, in the coming months. Um, and so we're, we're looking at a, a pretty terrifying scenario in many ways in terms of economic downturn and, and so forth. But against that there is has been some incredibly positive signs as well of you know communities coming together people supporting to one another i've had more conversations with my neighbors in the last two months mm -hmm. than i had in the few years before that yeah. and people just reaching out and identifying and understanding people's needs and and and, and um, wishes and and trying to work out ways of meeting those and trying to work out ways of sustaining human contact and connectivity and activity through the lockdown despite the, the the huge challenges we're facing and so it, it's a really mixed picture and, and I think whilst there are obviously huge negatives there are some, some upsides as well and we need to try and hang on to those and amplify those as, as much as we can. Yeah absolutely um, and I think across the Oxfordshire third sector we've seen that so much I mean the, the way that things like Oxfordshire All In movement came together in a matter of days has just been incredible you know and, and so positive. Um, and Martin, can we ask the same question to you, please? Um, 
I'll, I'll look through the lens of the sector because I, I share everything that, that Adrian's just said about the community side of it. <laughs> um, I think it's been a real shock for the sector um, because um, on one level, it has really destroyed uh, the fundamental way it operates in terms that it relies on income generation now far more than it ever had done in the past. Um, the idea of subsidising culture and sport has been disappearing through austerity. Um, so it's self-reliant on, on income has just been completely taken away from it at a, at, at a, at a sweep. Um, and th that is worrying people. It's worrying people immensely in terms of will we actually ever come back from this, uh, even if we're allowed to reopen the terms of reopening is going to mean that the number of people coming through the door will be limited. So there's a real uh, fear about will we ever come back um, because of our dependencies on income. The other thing that it's done is absolutely exposed. Um, it's I mean, I've, I've been for some time saying it's fundamental weaknesses around its ability to deal, deal with inequality. And those problems have got worse as the rise of income generation has got, has got more important. So looking forward, what, what does the sector do? Does it save itself as a business um, and just look to the usual suspects to pay more? because that's the only way it can survive? Or does it really now look to the communities it's been working with uh, to help them through the crisis and say, how do we support these people now on a sustainable basis whilst keeping our businesses afloat? And, and that, I think, is now becoming the really cool challenge uh, for, for the whole culture and sports sector in particular. Um, and it doesn't know which way to go at the moment. It really doesn't. And there's a there's a massive societal issue in that because you know at the start of the outbreak, the rhetoric was this virus, you know, affects us all equally and brings us all together. And actually, what we're now seeing and what we now know is it's widening inequality. It's widening gaps between the haves and have-nots, and it's it's it's, it's attacking people who are disadvantaged much disproportionately. Yeah both in terms of the virus itself, but in also in terms of the, the impact and after effects of it. Yeah. And, and the, the economic recovery will do exactly the same. I mean, I'm a passionate believer in the Michael Marmot stuff around proportionate universalism and his report that showed that austerity had made life worse for the poorest parts of the community. And the, you know, the inequality gap had, had not narrowed as he'd hoped. Well, we extrapolate that forward another five years now, and that's going to get worse. So that is now for us as a sector, I think, the funder. Are we a social enterprise that's focused on need or are we a business focused on our survival? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, to totally agree. And I think um, something that we're looking at very much is the reactivation um, of physical activity and sport and what that looks like. But so many of the initiatives that we're talking about as in increasing walking, cycling, the worry is with the inequality gap widening so much, are these just quite middle class initiatives? You know, it's very easy to do that if you've got a bike um, or you live somewhere with access to the right cycle routes or whatever the barriers might be. 
uh, we did a web chat earlier this week with uh, four women talking directly about the barriers they actually faced to cycling and that was brilliant to hear those firsthand so that we're very keen to do more of that you know because that there's a real concern there um so we've touched briefly on um obviously huge challenges ahead without a doubt but also you know some gifts as well um so the next question is around do you think we can recover stronger um and what other possibilities um around that so again another another big question <laughs> um adrian do you want to have a go at that um i'm an optimist I, you know, I believe we have to have to try and recover stronger. I believe we can recover stronger, um, but I think we have to try and do so in a way that is acknowledges the, the challenges, the very significant challenges we're facing. Um, in terms of what that means and what that looks like, I, I would hope we can find ways of increasing participation in sport. And one of the great things for me has been going out and seeing people who aren't you know, obviously used to running or cycling or walking, getting out and doing it because they're, they're, they're kind of, it's part of, you know, what they feel is expected as part of lockdown is get out and get your daily exercise. Um, and I hope that continues. And I hope that, you know, the coming together of communities in an inclusive, engaging, positive way can try and work against some of the kind of elitism that we we we, we can too easily fall back to in sport and the dismissal of oh you're not you're not good enough so you shouldn't be doing it but actually you know I'm you know I I, I love sport I'm a I'm a very good cyclist I'm a very very mediocre runner but I really enjoy running and yeah. you know it's an important part of me and who I am I'm never going to win any race anywhere but I've overcome the psychological barriers to going out and becoming a runner but you know i've got every advantage to do so and i think we need to help others through a similar path and, and support people to to do things badly actually <laughs> and, you know not worry about the fact that you're never going to win anything but you're doing it and that's great and that should be celebrated and encouraged and supported through whatever mechanisms and means we can yeah i think it defines what you mean by stronger and it goes back to the answer to my first question. Um, if, if you think that we come back stronger because we, we recover 80% of our audience, we get them back, we might have to charge them more, but we keep the facilities open, running, and they're there, um, and we've learned the lesson from what we, we've done. Um, then probably there is a sense of, yes, we'll come back stronger. If you think st stronger is coming back by addressing those inherent inequalities that will have got worse, then I'm left hopeful. Um, because um, the only way that can happen is if there is a fresh injection of investment from councils or government because price is one of the key variables in accessibility. Um, and the stories coming out of councils at the moment where on average they've had 25% of their costs covered by government, they're carrying debts of 75% of what the figure from Birmingham yesterday was unbelievable, spent 271 million, received 70 million. Now, Birmingham is one of the most deprived communities in the country. I work a lot with Karen Crevin there, who runs the Active Wellbeing Society. Um, 
So if you're carrying that level of debt as a council, and 25% is a figure I've heard consistently now, um, where is that money going to come, come from before you can even start thinking about um, uh, addressing the social differences and, and, and inequality? So the scale of the challenge, if it's relied on increasing subsidy, um, is going to be absolutely horrendous. And I think, I think the sector is going to have to seriously rethink about what its messaging is. Um, I think just relying on this physical activity is good, is nowhere near strong enough as a piece of messaging to deal with the challenges that funders are going to face. We have to step up and therefore my answer to your question is, it all depends on the quality of our leadership. Mm. It's as simple as that. If the leadership really comes to the fore and behaves fundamentally differently than the way it's behaved in the last 10 years, yes, we can come back stronger. If it behaves the way it has behaved in the last 10 years, I fear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with all those points. And I think I think the one, one thing I'd say on a very local level about that is that um, we're looking at Active Oxfordshire, working with some key partners um, in the, the third sector going forward um, on a project that's very much a hyper-local approach, which will actually need quite minimal funding. I know that's a very ideological way of looking at it, but that is about looking at the assets that came through during the crisis, looking at the volunteers, the networks of street champions, community leaders, and saying that until we know more about what the investment looks like, considering how tough things are, is there a way that communities can play a key role in talking to each other about physical activity and enabling? And I know that that's, that's very ideological on a very hyper-local basis, but we may be needing to look at that, you know, going forward more and more. They'll have to be very different models. Um, yeah. Somebody reminded me yesterday uh, that I'd forgotten, although I was fundamentally part of it, the birth of sports de de development came out of the inner city riots of the 80s. Nice, yeah. Sports development did not exist. Mm. We were trying it. We could persuade nobody to invest in it. Then we had the inner city riots, total breakdown of, of communities, mm. uh, everything that's, you know, cities were on fire. And all of a sudden, money became available to do something different, and the rest is history. So we may have one of those moments where the sheer fear of what the future could look like may just stimulate something, somebody to say, we've got to do things differently. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a realisation that, that community is, is not just the voluntary sector, but is businesses, yeah. is is local authorities and I was having a conversation this morning with with a social enterprise and envisaging a, 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 a food economy in Oxfordshire where you have you know we've got a, a waste food organization who take through millions of pounds worth of food on a monthly basis and distribute it out to community larders they're looking at the potential to to convert some of that into prepared food um, that could be you know prepared by kids, young people who experience disadvantage, who are then getting training in food hygiene and, and so forth. It could be distributed, I mean, primarily through through local trucks, but then locally through people on bicycles. There's there's loads of kind of 
bicycle repair workshops and other schemes like that in Oxfordshire. Um, and, and you've then got, you know, and sold through local businesses or sold to local businesses. You've then got a kind of circular economy where, which is, you know, far lower carbon impact, uh, far, far healthier because a lot more of the food's local. Yeah. Up disadvantaged children. And by the way, they're getting exercise because they're delivering stuff on their bicycles and, and it's, it's healthy in, in so many different ways. And I think if we can find solutions like that, people, you know, will buy into those just because it, they, the, the food's good. Um, and then they'll realise that actually there's a whole social enterprise network behind it, which is doing untold other good things as well. And that, if we can do things like that, then you start creating a kind of virtual net, virtuous networks that, that, that do good and are good for people's health in lots of different ways. In the first, in the first paper I wrote, I, I, I used this analogy of repair or renewal. Uh, and uh, I use the analogy of what happens after a flood. You know, a, a village gets flooded and the houses uh, get flooded and people are living elsewhere. The majority of people will just want to get back in their house as it was. Their mindset is repair. Mm. Doesn't matter, just get me back in that house. I want it just as it was. I want the same carpets. I want the same you know, just get me back there and I won't be happy until you've repaired my house. Others will look at that and say, hang on a minute, that house never worked. It was a bloody awful house. It, it, it was dysfunctional. Um, let's take this opportunity to start again. Let's rip it to pieces. Let's build the house for the future that's going to work. Now, there is a fundamental uh, a mindset there that is different. If the sector moves into, it wasn't working, it was dysfunctional, it was failing on inequalities, the austerity agenda had driven us down the wrong routes, let's come out of this fundamentally different, then yes, I'm positive. Yeah. But if we just want to repair what we had, it's not going to work. Which is exactly the philosophy of Oxfordshire Community Foundation who yeah. I'm working with. Have, have talked all the way through about respond better, recover stronger, yeah. and consciously thinking about what does recover stronger mean and how can we make sure that we foster and support that rather than just putting all our energies into, into the recovery. Um, and I know from talking to a lot of local uh, voluntary sector organisations that people are doing okay financially at the moment, but are very concerned about kind of six, 12, 18 months down the line as the recession hits, as downturn in income, as you know, all fundraising plans through the summer are probably going to be severely affected about what, what the future looks like. And that we need to think about that long-term future now. And you know, if there are opportunities to recover stronger and put in place foundations that help us build back more strongly, then then we need to take them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you both so so much. Very happily talk to you all day on this subject, but um, sadly we have to we have to wrap that up. But big big thanks um, to both Adrian and Martin for taking You're the time welcome. to talk to us today. Um, very much appreciated. You're Thank welcome. you. Thank you, Helen. Good talking to you. Thank you.